Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for Upstate Performance Project. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. As you can probably hear in the background, I am driving. It's another mobile episode. Haven't done one in a little while, but uh, every once in a while I've got to do it. Um, you guys know I visit Kansas often to be with my kids, um, and that's what I'm doing right now, going to see my kids. Um, anyhow, wanted to talk today a couple things um, about um, finding your niche and, and really honing in what you do best. There's a couple things I'm going to mention about that. We'll talk about some stories, or I got a fun story for you. Um, And then I've got, uh, instead of a research article today, we are going to talk research. We're we're going to talk about how to to interpret research. Um, We're not going to get super detailed, but, but we're going to give you some tips on what to look for when you're looking for research and why you should be looking for research. Anyways, we'll get to that. And then, of course, a little motivational minute at the end. So, today's program, it is brought to you by a new service that we are offering. And our new service is is very similar, or it's going to fit right in with our topic today of finding your niche. So, we are offering programming specifically for... Athletes, we'll say former athletes, who are ready to get back in the game, ready to get back in shape, kind of reignite, reignite that that competitiveness, those juices that they had. So, you know, sometimes when people, when athletes are uh, pounding and grinding all through high school, all through college. All the travel ball they may have done. They've played their sport and worked out. And they are just tired. Their bodies are tired. They're mentally drained. They graduate or they retire from the sport. And they just are done. They don't want to play anymore. They don't want to work out anymore. They don't want to push themselves to that limit anymore. And sometimes that leads to a little bit of Inactivity, a little bit of weight gain, a little bit of body composition change that they're not used to. And some athletes accept that and go on. Some some uh, said, no, this isn't what I want. I don't want to necessarily beat myself up like I did when I was playing my sport, but I want to have that intensity and I want to get my body back. I want to feel good again like I did in the past. Now, this hits home for a lot of reasons because we, Chelsea and I, that is, at, at Upstate Performance Project, we get a lot of athletes. She's a former athlete herself, former pro athlete, that is. Although she never really got out of shape or stopped working out, she did stop working out as hard as she did when she was, you know, competing full-time. And saw some things change. Uh, you know, not necessarily 
weight gain, but just saw that you know her aerobic capacity wasn't what it was, or you know some of the other you know physical things she was able to do, jumping and her power had gone up because she wasn't training that way. Uh, she still stayed in great shape, but again, some of those aspects and those physical attributes that defined her for so long were slipping a little bit. So we kind of came up with a new program and got her going again. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk more about her specifically in a little bit. Um, but, excuse me, how to get a sip there. Um, one of the things that I, as a, as a strength coach or former collegiate strength coach, one of the things that I get a lot of, which is awesome, is emails or texts or Instagram messages from former athletes. Uh, again, in that same scenario I described at the top of the podcast where we have athletes that, or I have athletes that I've worked with when they were in college. They like those workouts. They reach back out. Hey, it's been four or five years. I haven't done much. I want to get back into shape. I got good results from that program that we used to do. Obviously, I don't need to be a you know high-level defensive end anymore, but I still want to train and have my body be able to do the same kind of things, but I don't need the intensity or, you know, basically, they're not going to be playing their sport, right? They're not going to be uh, doing their uh, activity necessarily. Some some might be, but they're more or less just wanting that, that uh, they want their body to feel like it used to and be capable like it used to. And so they call me because one that gave them the workouts to get there, right? So that being said, the topic of today is finding your niche, right? So we know, especially when it comes to the online world, if, if you as a coach, as a personal trainer, or, 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 or uh, entrepreneur trying to find an audience, Having a niche market is going to really set you apart, right? It's really going to help you narrow your focus so that your marketing energy and strategies can be you know, geared uh, at one particular audience. Now, I just described our niche, and it's something that we've kind of, it's not fallen into our lap, it's just something we've noticed, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Chelsea and I never really wanted to do a niche program, uh, or we didn't think that way at first. And we didn't think that way at first because when we were trying to do our online personal training strategies and marketing, we're like, it was really hard to define who we were after, who were we targeting, right? And when we looked at who who is, you know, who do we want to write programs for? Where do we get excited about? Well, it may not be who's listening to us. Uh, you know, it may not be the, the the audience that we currently have, and that's okay. You can go try to get that audience. But the point is, when you're trying to figure out what your niche is, it's not necessarily what you want to do right off the bat. In other words, we thought we could just train everybody. And we do. In our brick and mortar gym, we have top level athletes. We have complete beginners. We have young 
athletes. This is, I think our youngest one right now is 11. And we have people in our 70s. So we have all ages and we train all ages. So when we were thinking about our online, we could train everybody. Well, the problem with that was when we were marketing was that uh, it just, it was very vague. It didn't really stand out as we were experts in anything. We were like, oh yeah, we can train this person, we can train this person. We, and it seemed very generic. Now, it wasn't to us. We were telling the truth. In other words, we can train a lot of different types of people and scenarios. Uh, I mean, that's what over 25, 26 plus combined years of experience gets you. And so, when we were trying to narrow down what our what our um, niche was, we thought, okay, well, we could we could. There's a several different ways you could go about this. One way, and probably the most common way, is to go look at your analytics on your social media. So, for example, the people that consume our content on social media are. I forget the exact age range, but it's basically women in their 30s. That's our that's our market. Okay. Now, we look at our clientele. We have a few women in their 30s, a handful that that are that are trained clients. But I would say most of our uh, female clientele are either the athletes are are 40 plus. We have a couple. So we're thinking, where, why? Why are we attracting that demographic to our, with our content? Then we realize, well, we train a lot of youth athletes, right? And a lot of their moms are in their 30s. So they're they're looking at our page to see what we're doing or to, to follow us and things like that. So that made a lot of sense. So now we could take that one of two ways. We could market towards them because we know they're the ones looking at our content. Or we could market a program for their kids because again, they're going to be the ones that see it. But either way, we, that's a niche that we can fill, right, with our marketing. So whenever we put out a marketing campaign, that is probably a, a good strategy to go after. And we again simply find that by looking at your analytics, on uh, your insights, on all your posts, posts, uh, and you can look at that through, you know, not just Instagram, but but a lot of other uh, social media. Uh, uh, platforms. Uh, my, our YouTube channel tells us a lot. My podcasting channel tells us a lot of who's listening, and where they are, and even what time they're they're they're, uh, they're downloading my episode. So I know when to post. Uh, ideally. So another way you can get into a niche or find your niche is, you know, what are you most passionate about? I mean, I told. I've told everybody, you know, and, and you guys have heard me talk about this before. My favorite part about this business, I like writing programs. Like, I love talking to the people and I like being with the people, uh, my clients, that is, and the athletes we train. I am a very talkative, very social person. But the thing that gets me psyched about the profession is I like sitting down and saying, okay, we want to end up here, and we're here now. How do we get there? And I kind of, I'll usually re- reverse engineer, right? 
time frame, and I kind of work backwards, generally speaking, not always, but, but again, that's what I love, and so I can come up with a program, uh, a niche market, and, and, and talk about how to program, talk about how to do that, and try to attract business clients, not necessarily training clients, but other coaches that can then hire me or use my services on how to program, how to put together workouts. Okay, so there's another way, defining your passion. What is it about the, the business that you love? What is it that you really, really like about what you do and focus, you know, hyper-focus on that? Another thing, uh, again, going back to just data collections, just being very observant. What are some of the things you notice that are that are uh, uh, uniform or or, or um, uh, I guess in common uh, between your either your online clients or your online and in person or both? Uh, so you could look at that. And so what we what we were doing, we were discussing uh, a program or not a program, but we were discussing. The fact that we wanted to put up a bunch of banners celebrating uh, a lot of our our younger athletes uh, going to college and you know where they're going and just kind of have like a running uh, tally like that in the gym. So we were we're kind of planning that, uh, looking at you know we want what we wanted it to look like and all that good stuff. And we started thinking, you know, who are who are our, our athletes that are in college right now? And then we we're like. Who are our clients that are former athletes? And we started looking at a lot of our clients are actually former college athletes. And then I looked at my online clients and I think maybe all but one uh, are, are former college athletes. In fact, most of my online clients are my former college athletes, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen that I used to train. But we started thinking, ah, most of them came to us with a similar story. And why do they pick us? Well, maybe when they were doing their research, what what Reese or what uh, spoke to them was the fact that we have this athletic background, the strength and conditioning, and the and the, and the pro athlete background uh, that that appealed to them. They knew that the kind of workouts we would write would probably be very similar, at least in structure, to what they were used to, to when they were in college. Maybe not exactly, but you know, close. Or at least have a better chance of that than if they just go do, you know, random group class, which may be good and may be fine, but, but this, was, this is why they chose us, right? So we started putting two and two together and like, oh, well, hey, Maybe our niche is former athletes coming back, you know, trying to get back into shape. And so we've developed programming and some specific things that, that are uh, former athletes getting back into it uh, will do. And again, I'm not going to go through that whole program. This isn't necessarily an ad for that program. Um, we'll be releasing more information about that here shortly. But again, that's kind of our... our uh, that was how we came up with our niche. Because 
we were trying to figure out what the market wanted, right? When we were looking at what other people were doing niche-wise, you know, some people were targeting, uh, you know, moms after they dropped their kids off um, from school, come over to do a workout, or they were targeting high-power executives who wanted to look better in the boardroom, right? So they wanted to command a little bit more respect uh, when they're up there giving a, a speech or giving a presentation or, or whatever. There's a lot of there's a lot of programs for that, and I, I actually see a lot of value to that. To be honest with you, I mean, I think that's a great idea. But that did, that seemed like we were just trying to pick a niche and then go for it, and it just didn't. It was not out of left field. It's not that we couldn't write a program like that, but it just wasn't what we wanted to do, right? It, it wasn't. We weren't passionate about that. And so again, we just looked at the data. And the data said that the majority of our clients, whether they be online or, or in person, are former athletes who came to us wanting to get back into shape. And again, we have a whole system. Like, like in other words, it's not like we just whip out the old uh, football training program from 2014 and just run them through it again, uh, which could work, I suppose. But uh, you know, we take a look at what they're doing now and what their goals are, but. But the same principles apply, the same type of intensity, the same type of frequency, depending on uh, their age and limitations and, and current fitness level, right? So when you're looking for that niche, again, just remember, you need to look at something that you're passionate about, something that's gonna get you excited. Looking at your data, who's consuming your content, that may give you some idea of who to write programs for. Or simply, you know, who, what, what do all your clients have in common, right? Because we have some clients that are trying to lose weight, some that are trying to gain muscle, some want to be more athletic again, more, you know, mobile, mobile and agile and all that kind of stuff. But the common denominator is they're all former athletes. Not every single one of our clients, but I would say a large chunk, and, and I'm not just saying played some high school sports, I'm talking about collegiate athletes. Uh, a, a good chunk of our, our clientele is. And so that just was like, well, that makes sense. And they sought us out for that reason. So we already have that attention, and that's what we, we really love to train athletes. So there you go. So pay, be, uh, pay attention to those sorts of things. All right, so now, we're gonna switch over to story time. All right, story time. Today we're gonna to talk a little bit about a couple of old former clients of mine, former athletes of mine, that did reach back out to me after they were done playing their sport, but they had something completely different in mind. It's just just some fun. I I I uh, I'm gonna tell you about the time where I was a fitness model trainer. Now, not exclusively, but I had, oh, four, four former clients, indoor athletes, that were uh, done playing and wanted to get into fitness modeling and came back to me. They still had this competitive nature that wasn't being satisfied just going to the gym just to stay in shape. They still wanted something. They still. They wanted a goal. It was easy for them to train, 
uh, for their sport because they had an end goal in mind. Uh, two of them were track athletes. Uh, so um, one is a middle distance runner, one was a sprinter. Uh, one of them was a baseball player, one was a basketball player. So they all had a, a sport that they played that when they were done playing, they wanted to keep that fire burning. They wanted to really compete, but it helped to have a goal. So the goal, ultimate goal, was to get some sort of modeling contract, whether that be, I think all of them wanted to do fitness modeling, where they were modeling fitness wear in the uh, uh, you know, publications or whatnot, like Men's Health and Oxygen, those sorts of magazines. Well, not knowing really a whole lot about that industry, um, you know, bodybuilding and you know, training for aesthetics was not uh, completely foreign to me, but it was definitely not my wheelhouse, right? I, I, I didn't know the best way to diet for those sorts of things. So I had to go and learn a lot. And it was really a fun experience. I, I Basically what I ended up doing was I learned, you know, first of all I should say, all four of these athletes were already in pretty good shape. But for stepping on stage, because what, what we realized was that one of the best ways to get um, uh, noticed it, it was to or is to um, go to shows. So do, doing like a bodybuilding show or, or a fitness uh, competition, uh, uh, fitness modeling competition. So the thought was we didn't have to win, we just needed to be noticed. Because sometimes the winners aren't necessarily the ones getting the magazine calls. I mean, some of them are, obviously. They're getting endorsements. But uh, other people just have a certain look, whether it's they have a very attractive face plus the physique, or they they just, maybe they didn't have the best deltoids, but they had a really nice physique that was going to fit better for this particular magazine or this particular print ad or, or whatever. And so, at the end of the day, uh... I worked through programming, so that, that was probably the easiest part. The nutrition, especially the nutrition for cutting right before their, uh, um, their, their show was, was difficult for me in the sense that I did not know the best way to do it. Um, I had to do a lot of research there and, and kind of figure out how to get them stage ready. But we did it. Uh, and I even hired a photographer to come in and do some photo shoots. We, we, we did them in the gym. Uh, we wanted each person to have kind of like a little photo packet uh, so that you know, they could, when they would, if they got approached or if someone reached out to them, they had some professional um, uh, photos. And what was really cool about all that is we got, because three of these four athletes were all uh, former athletes of mine from university I, I coached at, um, they all got a little write-up in, in the, uh, the magazine at school, and so then they interviewed me, uh, kind of talked, talked about what I was doing, and that helped because that got them some, some publicity and some notoriety, and sure enough, all three of them, plus the, the other gentleman who played baseball uh, at a different college, but I had trained him when he was a high school athlete, um, had uh, had all landed gigs, and two of 
them, I think modeled for quite some time. I know, I know the, the lady, she, she, uh, she modeled for a couple years, two or three years after uh, all of that until she decided to have a family. I think uh, she's still personal training in the fitness industry. Um, the other guys, uh, they all got um, print ads, calendar ads. Uh, you know, one, one gentleman got a, a, a nude calendar ad, and we, we checked it out. It was, it was legit in terms of, um, <laughs> they were, it was, it was for real. They had, uh, you know, their real company wasn't a scam. Uh, they were going to pay him like $10,000 to go to Hawaii, all expenses paid, uh, to do this photo shoot for this nude calendar. And so we just kind of had to decide, you know, what, what he really wanted. And, Ultimately, he chose not to do that particular job, um, mainly because we decided if he wanted to be in you know, some, some high-level advertising, if that's what his goal was, then maybe going the nude route, nude calendar route, right off the bat wasn't the best thing. But anyways, it was a lot of fun, and that was just you know one story or one, one little uh, anecdote about how, again, even, even right after college, some athletes weren't ready to quite hang up their competitiveness and were looking for a new challenge even if it wasn't a sport or a you know they wanted to get into modeling um, so yeah just something fun i always like to tell stories like that all right now we're going to talk about research yeah. our research okay so today for our research i don't have a study to actually look at but I wanted to talk to you about why you should be using research, where to go get it, and some basics on how to interpret it, okay? So first and foremost, why should you even care about research? Well, there's several things, but, but a couple that jump, jump off my mind uh, is that it will give your programming validity your advice validity um, and will set probably set you up with the reputation of a knowledgeable person so when I write programming now not for every program I write for a person but like if I'm writing for a team or if I'm uh, writing a a, uh, a program or have a camp design like so for for example my power agility speed strength my pass program um, when I pitched that program originally I had a lot of studies behind it uh, that were linked when I when I submitted that and that was nice because every study I had you know linked or, or talked about the type of exercises I was having being appropriate for that age kind of answering some of the questions that parents and or coaches or, or whomever might have about whether that program was safe and effective for whatever age range I was going for. But you, you would have data and, and, and studies to back that up. So that's been very helpful. Also, what's been very helpful is when I've done proposals. Grab a quick sip here. So I've done proposals for you know a strength and conditioning program at universities weightlifting, powerlifting programs at universities, things like that. And again, to illustrate safety, to illustrate everything uh, that I might need to 
make my case, uh, I'm going to have some studies that prove what I'm talking about or support what I'm trying to, to accomplish. And that should make a lot of sense because I'm sure all of you have written papers before and you had to cite, right? Like you, you made some citations and you had a works cited page, right? Same thing, that doesn't change. So it's good to know that stuff. I still use the same uh, uh, MLA form or it was the ATA form. Gosh, I don't even remember that. But I, I use uh, this is a similar format that I would use for most of my research stuff. Forget whether that's MLA or not. I should know that with the PhD, right? Uh, anyways, the thought is we've got uh, experience citing work, right? Citing books or articles or whatever. So whenever you're doing a proposal or if you're coming up with a program, uh, not necessarily a program you're writing for your client, unless they just ask, like, why is this work? Then you can give them some research, right? Uh, but if you're trying to write a proposal or try to get a program started at a local rec center or a high school, having data to support what you're trying to say is very important, right? So where should you go to find it? Well, it, it does depend on, on what, you are, what you are looking at accomplishing. So for example, 90% of what I talk about is personal training or strength and conditioning, right? So the NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, puts out a journal for personal training. They put uh, quarterly. Uh, they put out a, a journal for um, strength and conditioning. They put one out for tactical training, and they put one out for just strength and conditioning uh, research uh, as well as uh, just articles. So the thought is, I'm going to go there most of the time. Now, I can go to American Council of Sports Medicine. I can go to other places that do some independent research um, and find journals elsewhere. But you know, generally speaking, I'm finding these journals uh, or these articles from journals that are in the field that I'm working in. So in other words, if I was talking about injuries, you know, like a weight weightlifting program uh, is very safe and, and doesn't have a lot of injuries, I might find a study from the National Athletic Trainers Association journal uh, that talks about weightlifting and, and injury prevalence uh, and how low it is if done safely, right? And so there's a, there's a whole host of things, uh, places you can go to find it, but generally speaking, finding journals or, or academic journals that, that are in your field, uh, your specific field, because that's going to help you get articles that are going to be very, very tailored to what you're doing. And you also have to be careful that when you're interpreting the data, what, what can be very misleading sometimes is that you see, maybe you just read the abstract and it kind of gives you a basic synopsis of what's going on, why they're doing the study, what what was done, you know, brief explanation of what was done and kind of what they found. And then you then you can go in and look at you know all the materials, the methods, the procedures, all that stuff in depth. And that's important to look at. You can't just skip down to the discussion or the results section and then just report that. You kind of need to know how they did it and, and who they selected because that may or may not um, support what you're trying to, to do. So for example, if, if you're looking at uh, 
trying to find evidence to support a plyometric program that you're doing. And you need to know, you know you're, you're trying to convince some coaches or parents that youth, youth athletes are able to do certain plyometrics. There are plyometrics uh, articles that you know, will have a sample size that you might need. So for example, finding one that you know is testing Olympic level volleyball players and the effectiveness of that particular program may not be effective for youth athletes because it's going to be too much. So you do that, and if you follow that program or that protocol, then that actually could be detrimental to what you're doing and, and therefore not making a very good argument to uh, uh, buy your program or what have you. So you need to find, make sure that the sample size, you can't even look at those details. Statistical significance, that's another thing that's often overlooked. If you looked at a lot of research and you can see some results that might support what you're saying, but statistically it wasn't all that significant or all that different than the control or, or the, uh, the other variable, then you, know, you can report it, but again, be reporting it accurately and not just talking about how it kind of fits, right? Kind of similar. Uh, and most often, I'm going to give an example. I, I, I was I was kind of debating on whether or not to say this or not, but I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this out there. There's a gentleman, um, we all know who he is in the, in the fitness world. He puts out some wild claims wild exercises that look crazy and if you call him on it like hey I'm not sure this is right he'll say go look at the study go look at the study go look at the study and a lot of people have gone and looked at the study and then come back to find that not only does the study not support exactly what he was saying but sometimes almost even the opposite there might have been a blurb in that study that talked a little bit about some potential benefits for this so for example one of the things that I always like to read uh, is the practical application section, right? And so the practical application section is not necessarily saying this is exactly how to go use this information. This is like, okay, so now you've read the study, you've understand what you're doing, or you understand what it was doing. How do you take that data and use it for yourself? And a lot of times, probably more often than not, the last sentence in that little blurb in, in most studies are, you know, more research needs to be done or it's inconclusive. So it might say that, yes, this protocol is a little better than this one, but more research needs to be done because the sample size was very small or because of, you know, this or that variable uh, change. So again, you could, I could look at that and say, and I could even clip that little section and, and put it in my paper and say, or put it in my proposal. Oh yeah, well it, say, it says it worked better, but it didn't really report all of it. And so again, you just need to make sure that you're looking at those details and that your, that your research that you're promoting uh, actually does back up what you're saying. And, and the good thing is, we all have the same internet now. Used to be some of these journals were really hard to access. So a lot of people could just really say whatever they want, you know, maybe cite the study, but you at home could only get the abstract and you may not get all the nuance and the statistical significance and all of those other things that may or may not paint the picture that that research is actually accurate. So uh, just something to think about. 
uh, when you're picking research. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, again, why should you do research? How should you go about it? What should you look at? At the end of the day, we all want a little bit of confirmation bias, right? You know, if we have an idea or a hypothesis, uh, or if we're trying to win an argument online about what what squat depth is best, right? Or or whatever whatever the case may be, we want to find articles that support us, and you probably can. Uh, on no matter what side you're on, uh, no matter what you want to try to say, you might be able to find an article that supports it, um, or at least somewhat supports it to the point where you could, you know, kind of bend the the results a little bit. But, but the point I'm getting at is research when you're using research to uh, uh, give your program validity or to back up something. One of the things I think that is the best use for it, which is sometimes not as sexy and not as cool, but you've heard me say this before, it's to validate what we've been doing. In other words, a lot of times studies, you go through and you flip through some research and they seem boring or they say, oh yeah, I already knew that. Well, if you read an article and you're like, oh yeah, I already knew that, well, that's okay because that article is just, if, 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 if it is supporting what you thought, it just confirms that you were, you've been right or you've been correct in this situation or you know, it's just another piece of evidence that your programming uh, and your philosophy or whatever is correct and you're, and you're doing a good thing. And so that's never a bad thing to have more research done on the same topic, right? Just endlessly uh, maybe redoing similar studies to get to replicate those results. The more you do that, the more reliable and valid those results are. And, and again, sometimes that's not as cool. People are always looking for the newest, like what's the cutting edge research? And yes, you do need to be up on your research, right? But at the same time, cutting edge could just be reaffirming everything that we've been talking about. And let, let me give you a, a, a real quick example. And this is not necessarily uh, well, there's some nuance to this, but let, let, let me give you uh, a, a, just a, a scenario where why this is important. Uh, back when I, probably like in 2011 or 12, there was a guy, a uh, very prominent physical therapist who was talking about, uh, he, had a, he had a physician uh, with him and on, on YouTube stuff, and he was talking about uh, how you, why you should not ice or use ice for acute injuries, right? So the science had shown that using ice right away, immediately after injury, uh, you know, would vasoconstrict some of the lymphatic system as well, therefore delaying some of the inflammation healing process. So more or less delaying your healing. Well, that's not necessarily wrong or false. That, that's true. And so, yeah, you don't want to do anything that's going to set your your uh, rehab back or your, your healing back a step, right? 
there is that inflammation phase, and during that inflammation phase, part of that, you know, is part of the healing process. So maybe doing more movement-based things during that time uh, could be appropriate. Now, what what the the study, and I don't remember the exact study that they that they were quoting in that one, but then there was a lot of studies done after that. You know, to kind of like, wait a minute, is this right? And so people were looking at that. There was a lot of, then it kind of went away for a little bit. And then I've heard it recently circle back again. And then that, a lot of research does that. You kind of goes away. They do some long-term studies and it comes back with some new findings or supporting the old findings. And that's why it's good to have these things to keep coming back so that we're confirming this. Now, in this case with the icing, one of the things that... Um, certainly make an argument for is it, yes it is slowing down the healing process slightly now where you the practitioner then have to decide is like is that the most important thing or is in the moment like literally on the field game management if you're the athletic trainer say pain control could the ice you know just be there to help reduce the pain Again, that's one one reason why you want to use the ice. So our old acronym, rest, ice, compression, and elevation, we still need compression and elevation, and that might be all you need to do rather than have the ice. Uh, if the athlete's in severe pain, maybe you do use the ice. But what where where this went awry, I'll say, is and this is just my opinion, this is not not scientific fact, but my opinion is that a lot of people took that and just said, oh, ice is bad. Let's not ice. And so there was a long period of time there where ice was bad. And, and not just ice after an acute injury, which is what they were talking about. They were talking talking about ice just as a uh, um, either pain control, you know, just day-to-day, you know, icing after a game, icing your elbow down or icing your knee or ankle down after a game or a, a lifting session or using ice baths or cryotherapy in general. And again, individual treatments, you know, sometimes it's placebo, sometimes it does have that that um, effect where if you're heat ice, you know, you're doing that contrast therapy, it can help flush out some things. So there is some use for it. And so it's not necessarily, oh, throw it away. You know, let's go, let's never ice again. And that's where sometimes new, exciting research, people are in such a hurry to get the word out that they don't take a step back and say, what are some long-term implications? So my last little piece of advice is whenever something does come out, think it through a little bit. And that's why... You know, you'll see articles that say more research needs to be done because they're acknowledging that this is what it's showing right now, but we might need more research to really confirm this, which is why, again, circling back, we see a lot of the same types of studies being done over and over again. It's not that they're not creative, they're just changing slight variables here and there to see if that makes any difference. And over a body of work, we can tell if that particular treatment or study is valid or not. All right. So, for our motivational minute today, I want to bring something back that I've talked a, a bit about. Not a lot, but, but a few times. And I think it's important to keep saying, and, and this, is, this is something that I, I struggle with, 
And so that's kind of why it's on my brain today. Is don't be a victim. The victim mentality that is out there right now where people are trying to one-up each other for the most victim point can be really, really detrimental to your own progress, not just as a person, but as a trainer. And, and the thought is, if you allow your clients uh, a lot of leeway and a lot of excuses, in the short term, they might like that because it's easy and because you know they, they know they can manipulate you a little bit. But when it's time to crack the whip, they're not going to want to do what you want them to do. They're going to be upset. Or if you let them get away with a ton of excuses, what's going to happen? They're not going to get results. They're not going to blame their excuses. They're going to blame you. And now you're out of client and you've got a bad reputation. So as a trainer and as a person, to not play the victim. We need to own up where we've made mistakes. We need to be honest with ourselves when we have not either lived up to what we wanted or where we have just blatantly failed. And what can we do to get around that? Using those behavior change models that you've heard us talk about a million times. So for example, today I was really wrestling with with myself because I had a little bit of car trouble And although I feel like I am fairly knowledgeable about cars, I know enough about cars to be dangerous. And this guy, I couldn't tell if he was trying to swindle me or not. And it didn't seem like he was, but the way he went about it kind of did. Now, upon further reflection, I don't think he did. I think he just was very not good about his communication skills. But the point is, for a brief moment there, I got really upset because the reason I was having this car problem in the first place was my, I I overlooked uh, checking my tires before I drove, right? And I didn't have a flat, but they were pretty bald and I had no traction in some rain. So I needed to stop while I was on on the road and, and get a new set of tires. No problem, I needed them. I should have done it before I left, right? And so that's why I was mad. I was upset about that. I was upset about I should have done this yesterday, but I didn't. And now I'm frustrated, right? And for a split second, even though I really try not to ever do this, for a split second, I was like, why does this happen? Why? You know, as as if there was some force that's coming down on me because of some reason. Like maybe because I, you know, sneered at someone or because I was mean to someone or, or I don't know, selfish in some way. And now now I'm being punished by the universe. <laughs> you know, by like, oh, no, you're not going to drive cross country with these tires. Okay. That seems silly, I know. But again, these thoughts creep in. And when they creep in, you can get lost in those thoughts and be like, yeah, why does this happen to me a lot? Why does, well, you know why it happened to me today? Because I wasn't prepared. I, I forgot to check my tires. I fully intended to. I got I checked my uh, my wiper blades. I got new, new uh, headlights put in. You know, I did my routine car maintenance. 
and, and, and so I was actually feeling really good about like, I've been keeping up, oil change, my, my routine car maintenance, something that was ingrained in me by my father. You must have routine car maintenance. And I, I do a pretty good job of that. And you know what? I missed something today. I knew uh, oh, a couple weeks ago I was thinking, oh yeah, don't forget to get a couple new tires. I needed two new ones in the back. Just completely forgot about it. And I was on the road. It was raining and it didn't feel safe. Then when I got there, the gentleman misquoted the price. And so I paid and then he was like, oh wait, no, it was this. And he, he was right. You know, he just misquoted me, and I could have argued, well, like, hey, you already rung me up here, but, you know, I'm an honorable guy. I'll, I'll pay, pay for it. I didn't know what the price was ahead of time, so the first quote he gave me, I didn't know. It seemed, seemed very cheap, but that was his price. Then found out, no, he was wrong. No problem. We fixed it. But the way he came at me, it seemed like he was like, oh, wait a minute. No, it's this price. <laughs> You know, like as in, as if he could try to fleece me for some more cash. Uh, again, we looked at the price; it wasn't that way. But my point is, I was like, oh, I was already mad that I was there. I was mad that it was my fault, and now I was mad that this guy was, you know, maybe trying to take advantage of me. All these things, all these feelings, were building up inside. Like, why is everything out to get me? Why is this such a bad? Why am I having such a bad day right now? You know, and for like literally, literally about a minute, I was angry, frustrated, and just started to have a little bit of a pity party. But guess what? A, it was all my fault to begin with. Had I checked my tires before I left, wouldn't have been in that situation. Now, I might have been paying the same amount of money, so the money wasn't the issue, it was just the situation, right? Why did I have to stop? It's just making my long trip even longer. Well, again, I can be better prepared. So it's real easy to sit here and point fingers and say, this is, I'm, I'm just unlucky, or someone's got it out for me, or the universe doesn't like me, or, you know, why does this always happen to me, blah, 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 blah. And I find, like, if you're asking yourself those questions, the answer is probably because you are letting yourself down. Are not doing what you need to be doing on a routine, consistent basis, right? So for me, today was just an oversight. I made a mistake. I forgot about my tires. So I can't be mad at the tire guy. I can't be mad at the world for having to pull over mid-trip and buy two new tires. I can only be. I can be mad about it, but I can only be mad at myself, right? I can't start pointing fingers. I know that's a silly example, but that's that's what made me think about it today. But I hear too often people getting online and just spewing all this victimhood. And if they feel they're being oppressed or if they've been bullied or if they've truly been discriminated against for whatever reason, yeah, that's one thing. That's obviously bad. We shouldn't do that. And if some but if someone does do that to you, don't let them win. Don't be the victim. Because if someone truly was discriminating against you or holding some trait that you have against you, then that's their problem and not yours. And it may make you feel bad and make you feel upset and bad about yourself. 
but just remember that's generally because they are unhappy and upset with themselves they don't know what how to handle it secondly if you are not where you want to be in life and you're trying to blame other people you might have some things that that have happened to you that have made it harder or been set back a little bit or you know maybe your parents weren't very wealthy and couldn't afford a great school and you've had to do everything yourself and maybe it's been a lot harder for you than some other people well that should give you more character that should give you more insight you should be uh, a leader a thought leader on how to get stuff done despite the odds as opposed to say well I'm not gonna do it or I can't do it because of the odds right we want to be leaders we all want to be, you know, someone that other people look up to, right? We don't. We're not all looking for fame and fortune. We're not all looking to be, you know, quote famous and have people know who we are and have that notoriety. But we want to be influential to the people around us to some level. Now you may be shy and not want to seek attention, but at the same time, your actions can speak for you. And so if your actions are every time something comes up, you blame other people, you get frustrated, and you don't do anything about it, then you're, you're the problem. You're what's holding yourself back. You're, not your. <laughs> uh, anyways, don't be a victim. Don't allow yourself or allow other people to put you in a box. And if you feel that putting yourself in a box of victimhood of whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever you feel you're being oppressed or persecuted for, use that as a strength. Turn it around, flip the script, so to speak. And if you need help with that, that is what Chelsea and I do a lot of the time. When we have excuses, we don't allow our clients to use them. There are some legitimate ones. There are some not legitimate ones. Chelsea and I all the time can sit there and tell you about how our fitness isn't where it wants to be and this job sucks because we have to be up and open the gym at five and close it at eight and we're there all day long. Well, if we were to sit there and, and complain and moan about that, first of all, that'd be kind of silly because if we have a gym that's open all day long and we have clients all day long, that probably means we're doing something right. But if we are stuck in that and can't get out of that rut, that rut being we're working 15 hours a day and no end in sight, guess whose fault that is? That is our fault for not having better systems, for training people, hiring new people to take over, uh, or having other forms of income so that we might let some clients go in the morning so we don't have to be there at 5 a.m., right? So there are a million different things that we can look at. And if your income isn't where it needs to be, don't blame your job, don't blame this, don't blame time. Think of a solution. Now, that solution may not happen right away. You might need to think on it for a little bit. You might have to say, well, I should be doing this, this, and this, but it's gonna take me a little while to get there. Okay, now you have a plan. So it may stink right now in your situation, whether you caused it or someone else caused it. But you gotta think of a way out rather than sit there in your 
uh, unhappiness. Because that's not going to help you. It's not going to help the people around you. And it's certainly not going to help if you have clients. Because if you have clients and you have this attitude, they will have that attitude that you're never going to get through to them. They're not going to get their results. They're not going to pay you. See where I'm going with that? So again, don't allow yourself to be a victim. All right. I am signing off for the day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great one.